What's good, what's good? This is Hector Oliveira, and I'm with the man always on a mission to find nutrition. Big body stay. Say, say, Liyua. Say, say, what's good, man? How are you? Good, man, good. Just looking forward to a nice, relaxing weekend. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. It is definitely going to be a nice, relaxing weekend. We got Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, so we're all going to be out. You know, as Mexicans, we're going to be out with, with our cholo socks and our long shorts. And some good lowriders. We're going to be barbecuing some carne asada. We're going to, we're going to be uh, lining up the lowriders, hitting the hydraulics, doing it real big uh-huh. as, as Mexicans do at any local park where you don't have to pay an entrance fee. Wow. Because, because entrance fees are puro pedo. I take that as bad. We're excited about the uh, Easter weekend. Time for family and friends. But we're also very excited about today's episode where we cover Carrie Strug's 1996 Summer Olympic Games performance in Atlanta. She took her team, the Magnificent Seven, to gold with a clinching vault, all while nursing a sprained ankle. We're also going to cover the concept of juice versus the squeeze. And no, that's not making your favorite orange juice or as those basics out there like to drink, the mimosa. Today's also a big episode because we introduce... The new name of our podcast. That's right. We had to get the fuck out of our name. But we'll cover that and so much more on today's episode of Talking Some Muscle. In a time of avocado toast eating, top not wearing, beard brushing, beer snob hipsters, two men, one from the south, one from the north, come together. On a virtuous quest to reclaim the true purpose of the pursuit of strength and set in stone the driving force that gets men to move off of their lazy asses. So come and drink from the goblet of power. Slick your thirst for motivation as two men invoke the indomitable will, the ironclad mindset, and the muscles that overcame great odds. Yes, these two men will be speaking of high adventure. These two men. We'll be talking some fucking muscle. All right, man, we made it. We're three episodes old. Happy three episode. Uh, what do you call it? Episode birthday, say say. Yeah, that would be the um, third episode called birthday. Episode. And I just day. like to thank the man upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> Happy three episodical day to you, say say. I know uh, we've we've definitely worked really hard at staying consistent. We've fought through bad audio, road trips. Fuck, dude, we're, we're pretty much family now. All the shit yeah, we've been through. Yeah, we made it there and back, yeah. dude. We should get tats. We had to change and, our uh, name. We had to change our logo. The first time's luck. Second time is coincidence. Third time tells the truth, bro. We're here to stay, homie. That's right. So we're very excited for our third episode. And we're going to start something new for all of our loyal listeners out there. So, so, so remember episode one when we both asked each other if we had anything we wanted to rant about? Yeah, I remember that. So we're going to go ahead and make that a consistent thing here, but we're going to give it a special name. It's going to be called our Muscle Up Buttercup section. And Cece, why don't you go ahead and, and basically, I don't know, give them a little brief introduction on what we're going to be doing. Well, in this section, you're going to have to tighten up your core and muscle up because what we're about to say might hurt your feelings. Might hurt your feelings, your soul, but it's definitely not going to hurt your body. It's going to make your body feel better, right? That's correct, Buttercup. All right, Cece, who do you want to muscle up, Buttercup? I don't know, man. I'm just kind of upset, you know, that uh, we have to censor ourselves. That's about it. I think we're both. I think we're both on the same page with that. And and here's why: we're both a couple of nobodies, man. We're we're nobodies. We're we're just a couple of guys that you know came together with a dream, an idea, a hope to achieve something special with this podcast. And that special thing was motivating people to change their lives and and live better lives, healthier. I guess have more fun with life. Do whatever you need to do to experience life to the fullest. And the way we wanted to achieve that was by telling stories that we found in pop culture, Hollywood, business, real life, wherever we can find them, where feats of fitness exist. And that's all we're doing. Whether it's a single mom doing her thing, making ends meet, getting food on the table, working hard. That's talking mommy muscle, right? That's correct. Whether it's Someone working really hard to go from nothing to something in business and life. That's talking success muscle, right? That's correct. Whether it's someone doing a bodybuilding competition and building themselves up to get on stage, flex hard, win whatever accolade they get out of that bodybuilding competition. That's talking some bodybuilding muscle, right? 
That is correct. Whether it's on a plane, on a train, on a bridge, or where you live, or however Dr. Seuss would say it, yes, there's fitness involved. I'm telling you. There is fitness, even mental fitness. Let's say somebody is trying to study for their exam and they have every excuse in the world uh, to make on a reason not to study. You know, they have this coming up. They have dance practice or whatever it is or other things getting in the way of their exam and, and they can't study as much. You know, they had a death in the family, whatever it is, but they still have to study and they still have to take that exam and they have to pass it because they have a bigger goal in mind. You know, that's talking mental muscle, right? I mean, I agree, and I'm, I'm actually want to say I don't disagree, but I just feel fitness is like suitability or readiness. Those are all three of the same words in my opinion sometimes. You know, subtle differences, but, you know, in that situation, how was your were you mentally fit to handle that loss, you know? There's ways to prepare. That's why as a little kid, you might not understand it. But as you become more and more fit through repetition, you'd be suitable to handle those kind of things, those tragic things, you know? Without question. And let's take it a step further. Let's talk about the person out there that brings a community together to rebuild it, to take homeless off the streets, to put food on the tables of those without food, to shelter people without shelter, doing charitable deeds. That's talking heart muscle, charity muscle, right? Yeah, heck yeah. yeah. I mean, if you're so fit, that you got your own needs met and you can start taking care of others. I mean, that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about, you know? Now let's, let's talk about the feminists out there. I love my feminists. Let's talk about them fighting for equal pay, trying to get the world to see them and what they're struggling with and the, and the injustice that's on them. That's called talking some feminist muscle, right? Well, I think you hit it on the head and. To me, that's a bad word. I actually, I mean, not a bad word. I'm just scared of that word. Like, I'm like, oh no, that, that should be a bigger F word than the fuck. Like, I don't, cause just because I don't know exactly what I'm talking about as far as from the perspective of a woman. And I know that's a woman movement. So I really have little to say on my opinions other than they're doing some great work. Um, I guess what I'm trying to say is, the principles I try to abide by cross over man and woman. You know, it, it takes a, it doesn't have a discriminatory eye. The principles that I try to abide by, you know, just like adapting, improvising, and overcoming your situation. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's how a group of like what you would call feminists came about because they were put on a struggle. They had to go through hard work just because of the gender they were. And, uh, so, so that's, you know, I really just, I, I'm down to talk about any subject into detail you know i can go from the high thirty thousand foot view um but i will i would never cross over and say i don't agree with them because i don't understand it i just feel i can't judge them if i judge them it means i don't understand them because if i understood them i wouldn't judge them so you know what i mean so i think i understand them yeah well here's the thing we will never know what they go through as women because you and i are unfortunately not women if we were, we'd be a lot prettier and beautiful and more magnificent and graceful and well-spoken. And stronger, <laughs> more mentally fit. I, that's what I always want to yeah. say. I, I actually, um, I don't mean to cut you off, but I, my, I forgot my point. I remembered it now. Like, I would actually try to throw at people for a loop to say, well, can't men be a feminist? Can a man be a feminist? Just because I remember having that discussion when I was at Saturday State University and I took a women's women's literature class and uh, I really learned a lot about that and then she said she's like, oh yeah feminists that aren't just exclusive to being a woman men can be that too I was like hmm what does that mean 100% agree with you and I support it I support their cause I support what they're after and I see them and I see the great things that they're doing and the awareness that they're raising it's something that should motivate us all it's definitely something that should motivate us to just continue to aggressively chase down and right a wrong or fix an injustice. And I, I love it. I love what they're doing. Like I said, we'll never truly know what it's like to be a woman. We'll never. We can understand it. We can respect it, admire it, and just applaud them for their uh, successes in all of their endeavors. And we do. But we don't want to get on, on the feminist tangent. We want to keep ourselves focused right. here as to what the rant is I, about. and what the I try rant, to keep it simple. Like, who's better, right? That's the question. Who's better, men or women? Like, come on now. Let's, who's more suitable? Who's more fit for what? You know? 
I just yeah. try to stay positive. At least we know what we want to eat. It's not a better thing. I think it's more of an environmental and application and context thing. I think it's it's we all are in this shit together. And we all have one thing that tie us together, and that's muscle. And not one person's muscle is better than another. It's just built differently based off of environmental conditions and, and things that we've gone through, training programs and, and things that we've tested ourselves with or, or how we've treated it. So it's not... I just learned something today. Thank you. I appreciate that. I, I'm a little bit competitive, so yeah. I see it's even different. Yeah. When it's all said and done, you and I are just here talking some muscle, right? Whatever it is, you can put anything into that. And the reason why we went with that F word, and this is the genesis of the episode for all of our listeners so they know, this is the genesis of the title. The reason why we went with that name is at the very end of our podcast, if you stay on to it, I know Cece and I are a bit much to handle for too long, but if you stay on and you listen to the clip at the end, Wooderson, the character from Days and Confused, Matthew McConaughey's character, say what you want to say about him. He says he's, you know, he's in high school because... He gets older and the girls stay the same age. Super creeper, I understand. But there's a scene where he has his hood. <laughs> the scene that we use is where he has the hood of his car popped up. And he's looking under the hood. And he goes, you know, I got this, I got that in it, positive track, supercharger. He's naming all the parts of his engine, right? Everything we got in there. And he admires it at the end of it. He says, that's talking some fucking muscle, right? And the first thing after that, which I cut out, is the guy that said, hey, man, your car's a piece of shit, blah, blah, blah. You need to fix your tires or whatever. There's that immediate hate you get. He's so proud of his machine, right? He's so proud of that car, the work he put into it, the effort. And then the guy just immediately tries to cut it down and he just laughs it off. What we all need is that confidence when we look at ourselves and our lives and what we have when we pop that hood and really take a look at inside. We're built. And it's a beautiful thing to say it on this weekend because it'll tie right into what's going on this weekend. We are magnificently wonderfully made all of us every one of us whether you got two feet one foot you got one eye one ear we're all beautifully made everybody is artistically put together and we have a spirit to overcome things inside of us and we got to tap into it and we pop that hood and you look at your spirit you look at your engine at the end of it you say i'm a single mom i'm a feminist i'm a weightlifter i'm a bodybuilder i'm this or whatever you are at the end of it you say man that's talking some fucking muscle so our dot 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 is gonna replace the yeah exactly our dot 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 is gonna replace the f word, but I want everybody to remember when we're talking about you and we're talking about Carrie Strug today, we're talking some fucking muscle. But today we're talking some Carrie Strug muscle, and that's my rant. And my rant on top of that, actually, I have to I have to tell someone to muscle up, right? Because this is where the rant the, the rant started. So my muscle up Buttercup today is the people that. We're declining or denying our podcast based off of our title. I guess I want to tell them to muscle up and employ more people instead of, you know, monitoring our day to day habits and making money off of what we consume and purchase. I guess dig into the content and the context of what's in there. Hire people to see what the message is. Because here's the thing. Everybody has an Apple phone and I'm not simply singling, uh, singling out Apple podcasts, even though I might be. I'm not singling them out. But everybody has an iPhone, everybody has this because they think it's cool. A while ago, in 1984, there was a message that Apple put out that they were going to challenge the status quo with a commercial of a girl running into everything gray. There's, there's basically looks like a 1984 situation where everybody's wearing the same thing, everybody's sitting down thinking the same thing, watching the same thing, and then this beautiful girl runs in with a red, a red out track outfit on, and I think she's holding a red axe. And she throws it at the screen that's telling everybody to think the same thing. Apple came out to challenge the status quo. So they made it their mission to get people to think like them. Like, hey, let's all challenge the status quo, which was fine. But they're not the cool ones, people. Remember this. You're the cool ones. And all they're doing is collecting your cool shit, your cool data, so that way they can make money off of feeding you what they think you'll consume based off of your coolness. We're the cool ones. Say, say, you're fucking cool. Our listeners are cool. Yep. Everybody who cool. has a dream to, to put together a podcast is cool. We're the cool ones, Apple. So, Apple, I'm going to tell you this one time. Muscle up, buttercup. And that's my and that's my rant. I guess I did single them out. I guess I did. Rat, rat. Shots fired. So that was our muscle up buttercup section. I hope you guys all enjoy it. And hey, if you ever want to tell somebody to muscle up buttercup because they need to, like Say Say says, tighten up your core, 
because this may hurt your feelings, Buttercup. Well, man, let's let's get to what we're here to talk about today, and I think we picked a great topic, and it's it's funny how things are lining up right now with everything. I think this episode is going to perfectly match our rants and the hef- the reason why we had to change our podcast name. And don't worry, you guys are all still here with Cece and Hector. We didn't go anywhere. We just had to change our name. So, Carrie Strug's story starts out the way all American success stories begin. In Tucson, Arizona... On November 19th, 1977, all American success stories begin in Tucson, Arizona. Did you know that, Cece? I lived on Davis Muffin Air Force Base in Tucson, Arizona. There you go. Went to kindergarten out there. Pretty much learned everything I need to know in that class. Boom, Cece's living proof that all American success stories begin in Tucson, Arizona on November 19th, 1977. Carrie Strug was born to Bert Strug and Melanie Strug. Bert is probably your best cosplay you know, George. Bert. Bert, yeah, Bert Strug, your best cosplay George Costanza you can ever see. He's got the George Costanza glasses. He's got the cul-de-sac hair. Chat me up. What you know about a little George Costanza action, Cece? I'll tell you what. I didn't watch one episode of Jerry Seinfeld until it went off the air. But it was such a big deal when it went off the air. I said, what is this? What's the big deal of this show? And then when I watched the first episode, I was like, oh, man, I'm hooked. George Costanza... I wouldn't label him as a weasel. He got a little weaselness with some slidey, slimy characteristics. But I still think he's a good guy. I still think he's a good guy. I always just look at him as like, man, that's that one friend you keep around because he's good for something. But, you know, you got to put up with a lot of other stuff, too. Everybody knows George Costanza. What's the, James Alexander? Is that the name of the actor? Jason Alexander. I don't know. Jason Alexander. If you guys hopefully are listeners know what jerry seinfeld is and know jason alexander pop him into your google machine he is a beautiful man anyway i I feel like he's the type of guy you would want on your side in a bar fight like he's he's definitely in if a bar fight pops off he'll definitely jump in with full force he won't hold anything back all right so let's keep it moving she was born november 19th 1977 to melanie strug who actually had the the classic feathered out 80s hairdo with the thick uh, red red glasses she looked like uh the yeah. you remember ghostbusters she looked like the ghostbusters receptionist ghostbusters what do you want she had that look about her you could definitely hear like the the cigarette cackle coming out of her hair you know what i'm talking about the <laughs> yeah. you know what I'm talking wow about? how did you just do that was that a soundboard man <laughs> What do you mean? Stop. I gotta go. Yeah, she was like the precursor to like Peg Bundy. You know what I'm saying? We all, we all know that lady. She, she hangs out front of the local liquor store that we get our discounted tall boys at. Tall boys. She looks like one of those, one of those (laughs) girls that you would find in the Oval down in Visalia, California. Oh, wow. A lot of people might not know what that is, but I know exactly what that is. Pop the Oval into your Google machine. I actually, I actually had a had a plan to get married there because one, it'd probably be super cheap. And if we ever ran out of alcohol, the liquor store was just like within a stone's throw. Another good reason is that there are always like little Mexican bands there with um just a drummer, a guitar player, and an accordion, and they threw down, man, some good music. So you have your music there, and they'll probably work for maybe twenty bucks an hour. And the other good thing about it is all of my cousins and like my dad's best friends were already there just chilling at the park right there in the oval, so we wouldn't have to invite anybody. We would already have everybody there. Food. Well, that sounds like a great place to have a, a wedding. Right. I never, I never really looked at it like it was a bad place. Um, it's just, you know, you gotta, you gotta abide by a different code a little bit in, in different areas, you know. Like I remember in Frisco, San Francisco, my friend took me to where he used to live. I think it's like Hunter's Point or some shit like that. But mm-hmm. he's like, I need you to roll down your windows because they're too tinted. Somebody will probably like shoot them out just because they don't know who you are. They don't know this car. So, yeah, Melanie Strug, she definitely looked like that. Um, that good old fashioned 1990s, 19, late 1980s, 90s feathered hair with the glasses, the cigarette cackle. She was a thing of beauty, man. She reminded me of like a, a poor man's Van Damme, Peggy Bundy is what she kind of reminded me of. But, uh, <laughs> yep, that's what I was trying to say. Peg, Peg Bundy, the Married Bundy. with Children. Oh man, Peg, just real quick sidebar. Peg Bundy was all the way live, man. Mm. I was a big fan of Peg Bundy. Case to go, even to this day on Sons of Anarchy. I love me some Peg Bundy. Anyway, let's keep it rolling. 
She began training at age three, three years old, little Carrie Strug. I don't even remember anything from being three years old, man. I was barely figuring out how to pick boogers and eat them at three years old. I don't know. Did you start anything that young, Cece? Hmm. I think my, my life pretty began, pretty much began after 18 years old. I don't really remember anything before then, so. It might be in the same boat. Now, on a, on a serious tip, though, I don't remember that much. But right, you... from three years old, I mean, didn't they say Tiger was swinging clubs at four, too? Tiger Woods? Yeah. Shout nice. out to him for the Masters. But, I Tiger mean, think Woods. about the, the people who make the impact. They're doing things at three years old. Dang, bro. Yeah. Jeez. I think when it comes down to it, you got to definitely just make it a part of your life. Like it has to be as, as second nature as breathing. Cause when competition hits and we'll get into this in a little bit, when competition hits, you need the movements to be like breathing and we'll definitely get into that in a bit, but let's keep it going with the early life. She actually began competing at eight years old by eight years old. I think I was just figuring out how to do finishing moves on mortal Kombat. you know, upright, down, left, yeah. start, pause, whatever it is. Remember how hard those finishing moves were on mortal Kombat? That, that would be a good trivia. What finishing move is up, right, up, right, you know, or it's a yeah. uh, block up, up, up or something, you know? They had so many different finishing move combinations, man. But definitely by eight years old, I was I was on top of the finishing move game on Mortal Kombat. So at eight years old, she was competing. And by 14 years old, she made it to the highest point of athletic competition. 14 years old, she was at the 1992 Summer Olympic Games in Barcelona, Spain, España, 1992 Summer Games in Barcelona. Her team won bronze. And the coach, Balakaroli, nice little Hungarian guy with a great accent. We'll get into him a little bit more later. But <laughs> world-famous coach, world-class coach out there in Houston, Texas, I believe is where he was. It could be somewhere else, but it was somewhere in Texas. I think Houston, Texas. She went and trained with him before the 1992 Olympics, and she was on a good team. This uh, team was led by Shannon Miller. And throughout her training, she was always kind of in Shannon Miller's shadow. Because Shannon Miller was a world-class gymnast. Even though everyone that goes to the Olympics are world-class. But we're talking about the elite of the elite when we talk Shannon Miller. Uh, you remember Shannon Miller, how famous she was doing the thing? I mean, you're talking about world-class, world-class. Not just world-class. The best so. of the best. That is correct. So Balakaroli was all about some Shannon Miller. He was like, oh, yes, my Shannon Miller is the best. She's going to win the gold. So when he took this team, that's exactly how he talked, by the way. Yo, so when he's he pretty took good this, at that. I, I remember him <laughs> talking about that. So he took this team to the 1992 Olympics in Barcelona. They were in competition for the gold. And then the ladies just fell apart. Um, there was a strong uh, Soviet team at the time, a Russian team at the time. Um, and it proved to be just a little bit too much. And everybody was, I guess, comparing Shannon Miller to uh, the perfect scores that Nadia recorded in the 70s. And then Mary Lou also because Bella Caroli also uh, coached those girls. But no one ever really had Carrie Strug on the radar because she was just kind of in that shadow. You know, she was a great competitor. She was in gymnastics her whole life. But no one ever really put her on that light. Not even Bella Caroli, not even her coach. He didn't even see her as that. To the point where when they won bronze instead of gold as a team in 1992, Bella Caroli said, I'm stepping away from coaching. You know, there's no reason for me to coach. She was like, oh, no, I'm going to step away from coaching because there is nobody left to, for me to coach. I spit on you. I spit on your bronze. Yeah. No Shannon Miller, no more gymnastics. Everything is bad. All the girls left are terrible. Wow. So. <laughs> He's not a bad guy, though, I don't think. Well, I don't know. You have to you have to look at it like this: as where Carrie Strug is coming from. She's 14 years old, and this is something I guess we can talk about right now. She's 14 years old, which is considered you're at your prime when it comes to Olympic gymnasts. 14 to 16. If you can hit the Olympic Games within that window, 14, 15, 16, 17, then you have a good shot of being an elite competitor, maybe even winning gold. Right. So she's 14, and her head coach Balakaroli says, okay, there's nothing left for me here anymore. Like, that has to hit home really hard that at 14 years old and she still has all this competition left, another four years, you know, she can potentially still compete at the 1996 games and her coach leaves. Your coach leaves you. You were planted in Shannon Miller's shadow. Basically have all these internal things going on. And you're also getting to the point to by the next Olympics, you might be, I guess, considered at the older end of the stick. Do you feel like as far as athletic competition, 
Do you feel these girls go through a lot of pressure at such a young age, that 14, 16, 15, 16, 17 window to be the best, and that's all you fucking get? That's it. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? You know, um, I think that they are asked a lot, and it is a lot of pressure, but it, I almost say we run across a battle of what came first, the chicken or the egg, you know? Maybe the mom tried to put him in flute practice or something, you know, and that's pressure that she's getting from moms, you know, but they're put on a lot of pressure. They're put on a lot of pressure. Just to answer your question, absolutely. I mean, what happens if they raise our kids like that? You know, like, you know what? We're not putting you into school or you're going to send you to school and this is what you're going to do. You're going to wake up every morning. You're going to work out hard. You're going to do push-ups. You're going to eat gruel, right? We wouldn't have that. Well, hey, you know, we want to be comfortable. But but that instills into you a certain level of thing that makes you stretch across times. I mean, if you ask young kids now who Carrie Strug is, they might not even be like, who? Who's that? You know, but the Strug is real. The Strug is real. Uh, I, feel like that's a, I feel like that's a T-shirt, man. The Strug is real with a picture of Carrie Strug. Just if she don't have that, if she don't up. have that, she's missing now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to email her that logo. And here's the deal. They are put through a lot of process, right? Let's go specifically gymnastics. They can they can be trained so hard at such a young age. They have a thing called amenorrhea or something where it affects their actual cycles. And they said that there's very adverse effects later on in life. But I think Carrie Strug, you know, has a kid or maybe married or something like that. So it was worth it. And her legacy continues. Without question. So Balak Garoli basically pieced Carrie Strug out real hard. And it doesn't get easier from Carrie Strug here on out. She moves to Edmond, Oklahoma to train with Shannon Miller. So she's in Edmond, Oklahoma, and she immediately ends up getting plagued with injuries. She starts out with a stomach injury, the excessive training, stress, the competition. Everything forces her to lose weight. She has drastic weight loss, all the pressure. She's a consistent, diligent trainer. But there's no balance there at such a young age, you know. And But she's chasing down a dream. She knows what she wants at this point, and she's chasing it down. Her parents see it. Good old uh, Bert and Melanie in Tucson, Arizona, yep. talking about their daughter just being this aggressive, tenacious athlete. And it's, it's interesting, too, because if you look at her parents, they're not super athletic looking. Do a Google search on them and check them out. I know, man. They're definitely not they're athletic. actually CIA or FBI <laughs> watching like over that. their alien prodigy that crashed in Roswell. Roswell. Something happened. You know what you I'm get... saying? And they're just, uh, they're like, wow, this girl can do flips. Let's see. She's from another planet. It actually makes a lot of sense. Roswell's a, a, a hop, skip, and a jump away from good old Tucson. But you got Bert and oh, Melanie. It's a, it's a vault. It's a vault parallel bar and a, <laughs> a, a round off away from. It's basically a round off back handspring from <laughs> oh Tucson. <my> <laughs> All right, so you got Bert and Melanie chilling out in Tucson, watching their daughter from afar chase down this goal. And she moves quite a bit in this time. So she goes to Edmond, Oklahoma, train with Shannon Miller. And her old teammate, she has a couple injuries. Uh, and then she goes to Nationals. She does pretty well. She takes third at Nationals. Then she goes back to Tucson because the training has gotten, I guess, too rigorous. Her parents are like, hey, take a break. Come back to Tucson. Chill out for a little bit. You know, we'll make you some. They look like they make a mean pot roast, her parents, basically. They definitely make a mean pot roast. Meatloaf and pot yeah. roast. That's what kind of parents yeah, they look roast. like. They do look like they make a, I want to go over for some pot roast now. Let's see. Yeah, right? They look like they make a mean tuna casserole. Honey, I made you a tuna casserole. It's on the fridge. It's on the it's on the kitchen table, honey. Hey, that's our. That's anybody our who mom. talks like that, you, you would think they smoke cigarettes, right? Oh, for sure. Her mom definitely looked like she was taking long dry. I don't know what type of cigarette brand. Probably the Virginia Slims for sure. Just a Virginia Slim sitting with her legs crossed at the kitchen table. Peggy all Bundy the pictures has, I've seen of her though, she didn't have a cigarette. I mean, if you're talking like that, <laughs> I would think that every picture that you ever took, you have a cigarette in your mouth it just, or in your hand. Or her hair just, somewhere in the background. Her hair just looked like a cigarette cackle, man. It's like, honey, I made you a tuna casserole. Honey, you know what I mean? Honey, put on a jacket before you go outside. You're going to catch a cold. You know what I mean? Oh, my gosh. Oh, man, dude. I'm just trying to have her back a little bit because I don't know her, but, I mean, it's hilarious. Oh, she's beautiful, she man. Like she is, she <laughs> is a gorgeous she is a gorgeous woman, man. She's a She's a beautiful woman. George Costanza or Bert Strug look like he went way above his pay grade to get her. Definitely. He actually looks like if, he looks like if George W. Bush did a cosplay of George Costanza. That's what he looks like. Dang, dude. That's a pretty good accurate description. <laughs> so that's, that, that kind of actually furthers my theory 
that they're not really married. They're just partners. And she's like, I got to work with George Costanza. (laughs) George, Bert, Bert, don't you know the strug is real, Bert? Oh, man. (laughs) That is a whole nother movement, dude. That's a t-shirt, dude. The strug is real. Strug is real. So she moves back to Tucson, Arizona, and she trains with Arthur Akopian, another world around. She's basically surrounded by all these world-renowned coaches, man, and she's doing her thing. Uh, then something gnarly happens during a compulsory exercise, which is the parallel uneven bars. Um, in 1994, during a competition, she, I guess, misplaces or she she uh, misgrips one of the bars. She's basically coming through. So you know how they do the uneven bars. And you go up to the top, you do a handstand, then you come back down with more speed and whip yourself back around. On one of the movements where she comes down, I forget what the transition is called, but she launches herself from the highest bar to the lowest bar, and she's supposed to grab onto it. But she misses it, and she face plants and scorpions and twists, throws her arms up, and does everything all at the same time, man. It is just the gnarliest face plant you're going to see. You feel so bad for her because it definitely knocked the wind out of her, and there's a lot of fear. There's also that thing in her head going where it's, I don't have much time to win gold here. I'm going to be 18 by the next Olympics. I I don't have very much time left. So you see that all going down. All she can muster out is help me, help me, please, when she's on the ground. And for the parents, I know we're talking a lot of fun stuff about Bert and Melanie. But for the parents, you can tell that they're worried about their daughter, that she's pushing herself so hard. And it's like as, as a parent, you don't know what to feel worse about, whether your daughter's pushing herself past her limits or whether she's injured herself and she's not going to be able to achieve her goal because she wants that goal so bad. And as parents, it's like, what do you support? Which way do you go? Do you support her health and well-being? I think you should definitely do that first. But that pursuit of that goal, the gold medal, is also part of her health and well-being. So her parents have always, they constantly have this struggle between the two of them. And I think every parent does. What's best for my daughter? Carrie Strug is so committed to winning that that's, in her mind, what's best for her. But her parents are just playing that balancing act, and that's definitely what you see. So she injured her back in 1994, which is very close to the Olympics. So you see all these this long line of injuries that can be demotivating. What are your thoughts on injuries and how they relate to your mental capacity going into competition? I don't know. I mean, I feel like there's a difference between being hurt and being injured. You know, I learned that one playing football. You know, if you're hurt, maybe you got your pinky smashed or something. Um, but it still works, and it's just a little bit of pain. Uh, if you're injured, you know, that's something like maybe your pinky got dislocated and it doesn't work properly, so you might not be able to play up around that. The, I think it, injuries I always looked at as just obstacles, but by default, obstacles to me are just challenges, so you got to find a way around them if you want to continue with what you're doing. She obviously wanted to win gold, and she had to really assess, is this injury going to prevent me from that automatically i mean you know that decisions like within a matter of seconds so like i'm I'm just gonna find a way around it is probably what she's thinking there i mean when she first fell she's probably thinking please help me lord but i know that now i've been doing some more research and i think there's a stronger connection than we think or know between emotions and injuries like if you ever see something on tv where a guy gets his knee dislocated you kind of feel that pain you're like oh or whatever might be more related to you if you had a shoulder injury and you see somebody hurt their shoulder, you might start flaring up. If you can get control of that emotional side, which is, I think, what Carrie Strug did really well, you know, she kept going. So I think that she was able to, you know, overcome it. But injury, man, it's definitely a, a game changer. So she went into rehab. She actually had a quick turnaround. She was able to go into the 1995 Worlds. So actually, no, she recovered in time for the 1994 Worlds. And then in 95, she moved to Colorado Springs, Colorado. Once again, another shift, another move, just chasing down that goal. And she trained with Tom and Lori Forrester. And at that time, actually, something happens on the other side or something happens in the gymnastics world that captures everybody's attention. So Carrie Strug's busting her ass, trying to find the best place for her to go, experiencing all these different training methods so that way she can put together this complete package to present in time for the Olympics. And at that very same time, Good old Balak Goroli comes back into the picture, man. He finds himself, this time though, instead of having Shannon Miller, he finds himself another prodigy that he says, this is the best thing since the spaghetti. So he comes he comes into the picture with the next big gymnast, and it's a young girl, 14-year-old, Dominique Mucciano. Do you remember Dominique Mucciano? Only because my little brother had a crush on her. That, that's what I was going to say. I mean, <laughs> admittedly, 
I'm not the most well-knowledge, well-versed. I don't pay attention usually. I'm, I'm oblivious. I'm usually having my nose to the grind. But these are some names that pop up. So Dominique or Dami, right? Like mm -hmm. that's that was part of that whole team back there of those gymnasts. Magnificent um, Seven but, is who they were. Yeah, the but I ain't going to lie. Like, Shannon I, Dawes. I probably like, wouldn't have, yeah, I wouldn't have used some of this stuff if I didn't look into it because – you know, I knew we were having to see what struggle that Carrie went through, but I remember Dami though, because my little brother loved her. I was like, dang, bro, like everything back then was just like, you know, Power Rangers and Dami. -ish. <laughs> he, had, a, he had, he had, uh, his fantasy was Dominic Mucciano in a Power Ranger suit. That was, yeah, that was, that bro, was what that guy wanted. My bad, he, I didn't get to say that, but that's, he wanted more than <laughs> that's anything hilarious. else. But to have Dominic Mucciano show up in a Power Ranger outfit, Pink Ranger. Are you a pink ranger person or a red or a uh, yellow ranger? Pink ranger or yellow ranger? Which one are you on? I had to catch myself for a second because automatically I wanted to say black ranger. But you know what I mean? Like I'm not the mastodon, but I was like, oh, I get it because those were the those were the those are the, the females. females. Are, you, are you pink? Well, you can yeah. be black ranger too. No judgments. Well, well, duty duty has no gender. You know, so when they put the Power Ranger uniforms on, I'm just kidding. But uh, oh, I forgot. I mean, the yellow one. I have to say yellow. But was that the Asian one? Yeah. Yellow was the Asian. Yeah. I mean, the Yellow Ranger. Yeah, Power Rangers were doing some things back mm. then. That, uh, and the Black Ranger was black, and the Indian Ranger was red. I'm just joking. We were the this only. This just hit me right now. <laughs> I'm like, what? Yeah, a lot of that stuff doesn't age too well, but you know, it's Power Rangers. So Pterodactyl. Yeah, all colors, <laughs> all colors can come together and unite. Tyrannosaurus Rex. I like how matter of fact the Yellow Ranger was with her sword. She was like. Sabertooth Tiger. She was very matter of fact. Right? Everybody else was like, Tyrannosaurus! Yeah. The other guy came Sabertooth out and was like, Tiger. fucking Mastodon! And then she came through and she was like, Sabertooth Tiger. Right? <laughs> even, even Kelly, That's was Kelly the pink, Kelly was the pink ranger? Was that her name? I don't know. Someone correct me if I'm wrong. I so. Even, I know, even right? she came through and was like, Pterodactyl! Woo! Spring break! Oh. Oh, I'm yeah. the Pink Ranger in Spring Break like, ter Pterodactyl. So yeah, Balacaroli comes back into the scene and he's like, check it out, I got the Dominica Mucciano, she's going to be the best, no one else in the world is as good as her, she will beat everybody. So yeah, Balacaroli comes back with Dominique Mucciano and that has to be another hit to Carrie Strug's ego, her, her persona. She's been training her ass off and she's now getting to the point to where she's almost 18, she's a woman, she's coming into her own and she's got to be thinking, wow, what do I have to do? How hard do I have to work to be thought of as a prominent gymnast? What do I have to do? Where do I have to go to be put on the big stage and, and be honored and, and be, mm -hmm. you know, glorified in my efforts? What do I have to do? She's got to be thinking that. And I think this fires up Carrie Strug because at that point she starts beating asses. She starts taking first here, every event, floor exercise, compulsory exercise, balance beam, whatever the fuck it is. She's knocking it out. She's focused, driven. And I think that extra fire of Bella Caroli coming back and saying, you know, I found Dominic Mucciano, you know, haha, hey, look at who I brought to the party. It's like whenever you're someone like your ex-girlfriend or whatever shows up to the party with some other dude and you're like, that guy ain't even all that buff. I'm buffer. That's funny. That's probably exactly how it was. Yep. But it's girls. So she was like, that girl isn't even all even that worse. pretty. So it's all smiles, but fake smiles. Yeah, Carrie Strug was like, I don't think uh, Balacaroli understands that the Strug is real this year. That's funny because I watched the clip that you sent me. I think it was like the passing of the torch or something. or I think it was with Shannon Miller, but I also saw it with Dominique. It seemed to me like Carrie got along better with Dominique. But I remember there was a, a, a picture. There was a showdown. I'm not a picture. It was a, it was a clip. And uh, Shannon Miller and Carrie Strug were face-to-face, -face and they were kind of giving hugs. But it was just such a, it was such like a formality. I mean, I'm sure they had camaraderie as teammates, but it was almost animalistic because like there's still that, you know, I'm still a competitor. And if you're number one, that means I'm number two kind of mentality. And like, like they're looking at each other and it's just like a fine line of like a little bit of cattiness, but they're, they show their sportsmanship, they hug. But I literally would see a little bit of fire in Carrie's eyes. Like if you look at any training video of Carrie Strug, there was a significant uh, amount of determination in her face. I think most of the athletes can relate when, you know, it takes that, that, that kind of hunger and that she clearly had that. So it was, it was crazy because she was like, I know I'm better than you, but I'm just hugging you right now because that's what I'm supposed to do. What do you think? Uh, you yeah. know how people will sometimes pull you in close with a hug and whisper like threatening things in your ear. She probably pulled her in close for the hug and she was like, I'm going to fart on your pillow when you sleep. 
that's what's up. What kind of other thing? What do you think she would say? Pull yeah. her in close. Be like, when you fall asleep, I'm gonna beat the shit out of you with a pillowcase filled with bars of soap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she's like, at least I get my period, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Just the catty things girls would say. Pulls her in close. Your armpits smell like chicken soup, you bitch. You look like a dude. <laughs> the gay dude over there likes you because you look like a dude. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's hilarious. You need to get a pedicure, you filthy-ass bitch. We're going to be on national television. All right, we're fucking taking a, a twist. But they don't say it direct, though. Maybe it's a different language. Like, you know what I'm saying? Oh, my goodness, you did so well. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness, you know what? You did so well that I almost <laughs> forgot how gnarly your freaking toes are. Like, I don't think anybody saw how just awful your toes are because you did so great on that floor exercise. And your face is all lopsided too, but ever, no one saw that because of how good you did. <laughs> yep. Oh my god, you're, you're so powerful. You're so strong and powerful that no one even cares about how gnarly your camel toe is in that jumper. <laughs> wow, dude. Oh, man. Oh, okay, uh, we're probably going to get busted out for this one, but it is what it is. Hey, we got the F out of our name, so now we can have free reign. Yeah, you can not You can have cussing in the package, just not on the package. <laughs> All right, man, let's keep it rolling. 1996 Olympics, let's get there. The Magnificent Seven is doing their thing. They almost have a full point lead on the next best, best team, or the next best team, which is the Russians. They're strong. They're doing their thing. But the Magnificent Seven, man, it's Shannon Dawes, it's Dominic Mucciano, it's Kerry Strug. It's all of them, right? They're doing their thing. They got that one-point lead, and they're going into the final events, right? The final rotation. Here's what happens in the final rotation. The women's vault isn't doing all that great, but they still have a lead. Dominic Mucciano, the golden girl. Bella Caroli's number one, a gymnast. I'm bringing her to the Olympics. Bella Caroli's golden girl falls on both of her vaults. She doesn't stick them clean. The last gymnast is Carrie Strug. She lines up for her first vault. She hits it. And she kind of falls awkwardly. She under-rotates, lands awkwardly on her ankle, and immediately falls. And everyone knows something's wrong because she doesn't pop right up. She kind of favors it. And she gets up, and she's kind of wiggling it around. She's doing that, you know, on the ball of her toe. She's moving it back and forth. And she's noticeably limping. It's, it's bad. She's injured. She knows she's injured. Bella Caroli knows she's injured. All of the United States knows she's injured. And the conversation between her and Bella Caroli, well, her, Carrie Strug. So the conversation between Carrie Strug and Bella Caroli at that point is Carrie Strug saying, do we need this? And then Bella Caroli responds with, we need you to go one more time. We need you to try for gold. You can do it, Carrie. So I guess here's the fucked up thing. It's, it's almost like at this point, the guy that's been, like, forgetting about her, just kind of, like, passing her off as just whatever, whatever. And I don't know the exact interactions, but from the outside looking in, that's what it looks like. Is now saying, holy shit, we need you to go. We need you to clinch gold for us. Now he's leaning heavily on this girl who he didn't before. till the Olympics, until this came down to where she was beating asses and then all at this end. It's kind of like... Uh, I guess it's now like that ex-boyfriend or whatever, you know, kind of crawling back at the, at the doorway or someone coming back into your life going, man, I've been so wrong, babe. I've been so wrong. I'm, I'm going to mess without you. It's that guy. I miss you so damn much. It's that guy. So now he's coming back in. It's a good metaphor. He's saying, we need you. We need you to go for gold. But here's what I saw because I watched the clip and I'm going to play the clip again here on our podcast right now. But here's what I saw on her face when she asked, do we need this? She wasn't asking because she wanted to do it for Bella Caroli. She was asking out of, one, she was playing that balancing act that she knows her parents had been playing this whole time. Is this going to be good for me? Is this going to injure me further? What kind of effects is this? So she's she's playing through all the outcomes of doing this on an injured ankle. And she's keeping in mind the fact that she wants gold so fucking bad. She's been training her ass off for this. And if she has to do it on an ankle... She's going to fucking do it. But when she asked Bella Caroli, she wasn't looking for his vote of confidence. She's kind of done with that at this point. What she was asking him was on a strict point system. 
Where are we at as far as points are concerned? Do I need to go and stick it to get the points? Well, they definitely did because the, the Russians haven't gone yet. And if they all did well, they were still in kind of a, a position to where they could probably win if they all stuck their landings and did extremely well with the vault, if they had a perfect performance. But what an athlete, and here's where the competitive mindset takes over, I guess, at this point. When an athlete says, ah, I can't do it because I'm injured, I'm going to you know, forego my final vault, then it creates a little spark, a little opening for the Russians to say, you know what, we can fucking do this. And if you give world-class athletes that we can do this little angle, then they'll probably take it, and U.S. probably doesn't win gold. So you need Carrie Strug to do that. You need her to perform well on this bad ankle to slam the door shut on the Russians to say, no, this is our medal. The Magnificent Seven floored your asses. We throttled you from start to finish. We fucking dominated you. And not only did we dominate you, one of our girls is injured, and she's going to fucking do her vault on that injured ankle, stick it, slam the door in your face, and be fucking done with you because we're taking gold, bitches. And Carrie Strug wanted to deliver it. With that as a setup, Say, so do you have anything you want to add to that? When you start talking like that, I get pumped up, man. I think that's what I hope. Like, like anytime somebody just starts getting crazy nonsense, like, boom, like talking, I get pumped up, dude. That's like what I need. Like, yeah, let's go. Come on, pump it up. Like you're just saying, some bitches, I don't care. But what you said was like pretty, pretty real as far as, you know, you're already taking care. You know the game so well. You already know what it takes to win. She's not looking for approval. She said, what are the points, dude? Like, let me, let me know. Cause I've already, got this situation under control, but she just wants to know if she has to give her left ankle, you know, to get a gold medal or if she could keep it. And you know what I mean? She was very matter of fact. She must be like that power ranger girl. You were talking about pterodactyl. She just like real matter of fact, like everybody's pumped up. Let's go. Mastodon T-Rex. She's just like pterodactyl <laughs> with a K. Strug tooth tiger. I'm going to play the clip, say, say, of her first vault when she injured and then everything going through it. And then I have a little special something that I prepared for us beforehand, just my reaction to her vault. So let's let's go ahead and play this clip real quick. I hope you can hear it. All right. Okay. Oh, 9.2. So Dominic Mucciano just went and she fell. Now it's Carrie Strug's turn. She's stretching, stretching her back. There's her parents right there. Do you see that? Yeah. Look, look at those glasses. Look at Peg Bundy and George Costanza. That's like an unholy union, dude. <laughs> She's like, George, I need a cigarette. The tension is driving me crazy. Bert. Here she goes. Here's the first vault. She's charging. And boom, that's where it happens. That's, that's where it happens, dude. If anything, it teaches you grit. Just learn how to fall with grace. There's Bella Caroli. Bella. He looks like he makes. He can make a mean like uh, shawarma. You hear that? We can do it. I need some pot roast and I need some shawarma in my life. Look at her legs. Dude. Those are powerful and how light, dude. It's she is absolutely just an athletic. Just anomaly. Crazy. Just talking about some muscle, dude. Just talking some muscle. Talking some fucking muscle. I didn't want to say that, but I was like, look at the guns on her, but you know. She's got some guns, too. Look at George W. in, in uh, George Costanza cosplay. There's the mom. So here's the last vault right here. You see her focus in. Take that deep breath. There's Dominique. Dominique Amuciano, you ruined it for me. Now I have to rely on Kerry. Oh no. She's probably more nervous. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna be only second. I'm not gonna be second. Good. <laughs> so this is yeah. This is for the team gold. It's all on Kerry's shoulders right now. And here it comes. Look at that shit. Look at that shit. Fucking beast. What a beast, dude. Pretty much. Fucking beast. Beast. There she goes. Badly, bad sprain. So it was a badly high sprained ankle. The impact, just the force impact from the ground. 
high sprain. Yeah. When I when I had a high sprain ankle, I had to get uh, Jordan Jordan Phillips. I don't know if you remember him. He, he had to give me a piggyback ride to the car. Dog. Like, so yeah. Well, she's carried Shoot. out by two people and, and Bella Cadoli. So there it is, man. What a beast. This inspired me to write something on her performance. If you hear papers shuffling, I apologize. I hope you guys like it. This came from the heart because I'm a father of a young baby girl. And watching this made me feel all the emotions you would feel as a father in this situation. And actually, I'll talk a little bit later how her father said she's going to be okay when she was injured. He knew she was injured, but what he meant by she'll be okay was that she fucking did it. She'll be okay. She did it. She's injured, but she'll be okay. He knew she was hurt. But the be okay Bro, part to, of it... doesn't start crying. Yeah. But the be I'm, okay I'm part... I'm not, I'm not emotionally shit enough to handle that right now, bro. <laughs> All right. Well, here it goes, man. Eyes focus in on the only thing standing between her and a gold medal at the 1996 Atlanta Summer Games. It's not the vault, but rather a moment. She takes the final deep athletic draw of air into her lungs. And ride, Balakaroli explains. She explodes forward, wild stallion-esque. Arms pumping, legs exploding like pistons in a Formula One race car. This is all power here. No grace. The grace comes in the deceleration effect of the twists and turns of the style vault she will perform. The grace comes after she sticks the landing. But this, this here is raw power. This tiny four-foot-something girl out of Tucson, Arizona, the baby girl of Bert and Melanie, the obsessive competitor, plagued with a series of unfortunate injuries, finally explodes out of the debilitating grip that rehab and recovery can have on you, finally bolts out of the shadow cast by Shannon Miller, and in the four-second sprint toward the vault, this tiny gymnast legs transform into thunderous roar of propulsion. She, for a moment, takes her run at the gods that occupy Olympus and tests her metal. In those four seconds before the vault, she's tenacious, a force to be reckoned with. She's the most powerful being on the planet. She's not afraid of her ankle hurting. She's not afraid of the vault, the landing, her coach, her parents, or the girls on the other fucking team. I didn't put fucking, I just said fucking because we're talking some fucking muscle. Or the girls on the other team. In some respect, they're all afraid of her. Because her biggest fear in that moment is not seizing it. Not seizing the moment where her hands are held high above her head in victory. And her dad says she'll be alright. Because he knows she got what she wanted. She won gold for her team. Hey man, that's really good, bro. The, like, the struggle is awesome, real, bro. baby. Here's the thing. She ended up getting a 9.712 that clinched the gold. So she got the score they needed. It slammed the door shut. And after that, the Russians broke down. Their best vaulter, Rosa Galieva, performed poorly. She fell on her vaults. She didn't do well. So them slamming the door shut just completely demoralized their competitors. The fact that she did it on that injured ankle. The fact that the competition just made her fly into this state of superhuman capability. So I understand it. I understand the injury thing. Like you feel the pain, but once you put yourself in that in that athletic or that performance mindset of there's no way out here. The the way out is to compete and to capture that moment, the moment of victory, the whatever moment you have in your head. She wasn't thinking about her ankle breaking when she did that vault when she freaking ran toward the vault. She was thinking about winning gold, like how that was going to feel, and that took precedence over the pain. That emotion, that feeling took precedence over the pain. I don't know, chat me up on that. What are your thoughts? I think that story that you, you read says it pretty clearly. Those are the kind of stuff that pumps me up. That's like hearing coach get down, like everybody getting on a knee and listening to coach, you know, pump you up. Like, you know, that's one of those stories. So, yeah, man, I, I'm just listening. I'm like, I'm like getting some popcorn. I'm like, tell me more, man. The struggle's real. That's crazy. You know, we all play, we all play to win. And I think we're just trying to get that recognition. So, you know, when you have that hunger that, it's not satisfied by anything but other than what you want. Like that's like, I need this. I'm not going to be happy until I have it. You know, sometimes we, we lose that hunger, we lose that hunger. Then, you know, we don't eat. I, I don't disagree. I agree. Let's keep it rolling, man. Carrie Strug is a badass. The Strug is definitely real. Uh, but let's get on to this next uh, fun little segment. We're going to call it the juice versus the squeeze. Yeah. You know, what you, what you do and, and what you can get out of it. All right. 
let's actually have the conversation. What examples in history can you pull or draw on where someone played injured or something happened personally to them and they still decided to compete and it was worth it? And the first thing that comes to mind for me, and I'll let you take the, the stage after this, was Michael Jordan playing with a stomach flu uh, in that championship clinching game. I believe it was against, correct me if I'm wrong, the Utah Jazz. Could have been the Jazz or the Sonics. I can't remember. I know it was one of those. But uh, I, I remember that one. That's one of the things that stands out for me. Nah, I don't believe it, dude. I, You know, I hear this and I'm like, okay, great. You know, you want to make the story sound greater. Stomach flu, no matter what. Nobody nobody cares about that crap. Not literally, but, you know, stomach flu, boo-hoo. What you going to do, barbecue or boo-hoo? I'm not taking anything away from Jordan, obviously. He's freaking the, one of the greatest, if not the greatest. It's all opinion. But maybe he's played like that before. We didn't hear about it. Maybe this time he wanted to pre-excuse uh, himself in case he messes up. In my opinion, so what if he had a stomach flu? That You know what? You better thank yourself for all them hard work, all that hard work and training you put in the gym. 100% agree with you. Then you have the other side of that coin. You have, uh, you have Terrell Owens playing in the Super Bowl as a Philadelphia Eagle with that injured knee. I believe it was a torn ACL. Uh, so you have that end of the spectrum. He actually ended up losing the Super Bowl game against uh, the GOAT, Tom Brady. But chat me up a little bit on that experience. I mean, is that you think that's a positive thing to play with it and lose, or do you think it's a negative thing to play with it and lose? What are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, I think it went farther than the win or loss. It, it actually playing with the injury conquers the the what if kind of situation you have, where if you look back and like, what if I would have just played, you know? So. It just goes so deep. That that's where I love to to be. I could go as deep as you want on my thoughts, but it really always just leads to more questions. Like, what did it prove? You know, what uh, what did you get from it? You know, do you even care? Like, if you get anything from it, because maybe he's just like, man, I love the game so much. I just want to play. It's like a, a drug to me. I just want this last quarter. Can I get it? It might be my last quarter, and I'm not gonna let a little uh, you know injury or hurt you know stop me. And, and then Technically, somebody might even say, well, where do you draw the line between hurt and injury? So, you know, I, I don't I don't think there's any losses, man, because, you know, even his legacy continues now. I also think it's worth mentioning you get these once in a lifetime opportunities as an athlete and a competitor. The Olympics are one of those once in a lifetime opportunities. Winning gold is a once in a lifetime opportunity. But the gold and the Super Bowl trophy and all this, those serve as tokens to your achievement. And whether you end up with the Super Bowl trophy, you win it or not, whether you end up with that gold medal or not, you at least put yourself in that competitive category. I know winning is the ultimate thing. Definitely, you want to win, you want to get that gold medal. But from the standpoint, I can see where Terrell Owens came from in that standpoint, because from that standpoint, if you sit the Super Bowl out, you may not ever be able to live with yourself again because of the camaraderie camaraderie you built with your teammates the opportunity to compete on that big stage in that game that just the chance that once in a lifetime opportunity and i always ask the question to my brothers just kind of jokingly but it's it's coming around full circle now i'm like would you give your right knee or would you give up your knee to play a couple seasons in the nfl and i would man i'd give my knee take my knee you know chance most people injure their knees anyway without playing professional sports so the juice is really worth the squeeze if it's if it's your dream that you're pursuing, if it's something that you've been hunting down, like Carrie Strug. She was hunting it down since eight years old. And on the other end of that spectrum, you look at a, a thing like CrossFit, which I'm going to talk it up a lot because I, I love CrossFit. I love different ways of working out. It's fun. I'm a big fan. But at the same time, you have the weekend warriors, the weekend CrossFit warriors going in and pushing themselves through injury, past whatever it is, not doing the essential rehabilitation and mobility techniques just to go and get a good score on the wad or the workout of the day. For those of you who don't know what a wad is. And that right there for me is where the juice is definitely not worth the squeeze. Handstand pushups, if you don't know how to do them properly, if you're having to, to scale them back, whatever it is, you can fall on your friggin' head and injure your neck. The juice isn't worth the squeeze in that situation. Being that weekend warrior, I mean, if you're going to go out and have fun and, and play sports, softball, flag football, whatever, just have fun and do it. But if you're injured, if you have an injury, my advice to you, and I think Cece can agree with this as a fitness professional, is to get a diagnosis, get the proper rehabilitation on it, 
and fix it, then get back to figuring out how to get to a high level of competition. Work with personal trainers who specialize in the movements that you're going to be doing on the field of competition. If it's CrossFit and you're doing snatches and cleans and all that stuff, figure out how to do it properly. Get with somebody who's certified, who knows how to do those things and knows how to teach you mobility pathways to open up the movement archetype so you can achieve the movement without injury because the without injury is the important part. Now, if you're the top 1% and it's just, fuck, you snap something or you have that injury and you have to play through it, you're top 1%, 2%, and you're playing at the highest level and you're at that once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. But if it's a freaking Thursday night in... Tucson, Arizona. I'm not. I'm not shitting on Tucson, Arizona, and I'm not motherfucking CrossFit. But if it's just a Tuesday night at some CrossFit box in Tucson, Arizona, and you want to get a better score on your wad, but you feel a little tear in your bicep, a little tiny something, and it hurts, you probably should stop and maybe heal it, fix it. And that's where it comes in, into play. I mean, that's that's my take on juice versus the squeeze. Oh yeah. I like that metaphor. I use it a lot too. Uh, when I train people, I really try to look at their physical distress. Like I, I'm not big on reps, but reps matter. But if I know you could do 20 of something and we're going for a strength training program, you know, you got to put the weight heavier. I feel like I have an eye a little bit. I'm like, I know you can go more. I know you can go more, but if it takes you to injury, then you're thinking short term. You got to think long term. So what, what are you really chasing? You know, you've been talking about how Carrie Strug has been chasing her dream. Uh, that gold medal could be it, but it could also be the camaraderie, like you were saying. Maybe it's clout. But if you're in Tucson with a torn bicep and you want to be able to work out just because you want to, you know, be have a better score, like why wouldn't you just say, I mean, can you do it tomorrow? Like, dang. I think that is putting it absolutely beautifully, and I think that's going to put a bow on our episode. So it's real. But before we go, say say we're going to play a little game on. Would you do this for that? We're going to assess our personal juice versus the squeeze. I'll go ahead and start it off. Say, say, would you give your left testicle to play in the NFL? Negative. Would you slap your mom for financial freedom? She would probably want me to, but yeah, I don't think I could go. ever slap my mom. <laughs> yeah, to think about that. Yeah, I think my mom would want me to slap her too for financial freedom. It would be a difficult crossroad looking at her face, but it has to be a full... Full open palm slap. You have to wrench back on it and just lay into it. But if I if I don't do it, she'd probably slap me. So I would do it in a form of pre self defense and just collect the rewards for doing it. Would you take an uppercut to your sensitive defenseless testicles for Mike Tyson for a new car? Nah, I'm good. I think I would do. If I get to, if I get to pick the car, I definitely would. I definitely would. Well, you know, you already have a, you already have a, a little one. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm talking about the first thing that came to my mind. If he punched me in my testicles, it's like, I ain't never having kids, yo. But I heard kids is like lottery tickets, bro. You know what I'm saying? So I have a better chance of a kid making it, giving me a car. And then boom, I got my car and my nuts. <laughs> I, I mean, that's pretty deep, but I, I just wouldn't do it. I just wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. I would take an uppercut from Mike Tyson just to say that I could do an uppercut from Mike Tyson and live. You know what I'm saying? Or just to even see it. Like, you know, if I get rewarded, fine. But I'm just like, come on, Mike. I mean, I just want to know how hard. Because that's the question. Do you have what it takes, right? I just want to know, can I take it? I'm like, I think I can. I mean, I've trained. I've trained enough. But, like, once you get hit in that face, boy, all that goes out the window. That's what he said. So I would take an uppercut from Mike Tyson just to, like, make the the news just just for personal satisfaction like that's all benefits like oh if i get to make the news wow mike tyson knocks the guy out over here in the bar even that's a cool story man mike tyson punched me the other day dude it's like what how are you even kicking with mike tyson i was gonna say he'd be all buddy but he's like i'm sorry man i'm sorry man let's kick it now <laughs> i'm sorry man i hope you like your new car man i thought i think it's yeah, <laughs> i hope you like your new i hope you like your new lamborghini tesserosa man all right next question would you do a 20-foot belly flop into raw sewage for the gram. Hell no. I want my gram to be looked at as a positive, man. I mean, I'll let jackass handle that, bro. Like, uh, no. I concur. And the most important question asked by a rock band from back in the late 90s, early 2000s, would you do it all for the nookie? Hmm. 
I have to say, yeah. I mean, I want to say no, but I think it's already all being done for the nookie. I think I've already done it for the nookie, man. I got two kids, a girlfriend, and a wife on the side. I'm just saying, I think that's why people ultimately want to be president, so that they can be looked at as the most fit person to attract a mate. And that's what it all comes down to. That's definitely juice that we're going to squeeze out of another podcast. But I think we've squeezed all the juice out of this one. Say, say, thank you, man, for episode number three. Happy episode three. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Hector. You're beautiful. You. Your insight, everything you bring to the table is sure. lovely. Thank you all for listening. And join us on our next episode where Say and I will be talking some Karate Kid and how to choose the right trainer, master, sensei, role model. We're going to give you the tips and the hints on who is the right fit to get you to the next level. And we're going to do that by talking some Karate Kid. I think that's going to do it all for us. For Big Body Say, Say Say Liua! I'm Hector Oliveira. And remember, everybody, if you don't got it, don't show it. Let me tell you what Melvin Post is packing right here. I've got 411 Posi track out back, 750 double pumper, Edelbrock intakes, scored over 30, 11 to 1 pop up pistons, turbo jet, 390 horsepower. We're talking some fucking muscle.